Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. We're glad you can join us as Pastor Dane Skelton shares a weekly message to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Dane. The first four messages that I delivered on this topic, Magnificent Marriage, I was hoping for those messages to be kind of the way that Paul would write letters to the churches. He would spend the first three or four chapters of his letter, two or three chapters of his letter, um, writing about doctrine and the, the foundational doctrine and theology uh, that he wanted to get across to, his, to the churches. And then he would spend the second portion of the letter on practical matters of obeying the ramifications of those doctrines. And that's really what this next series of messages is going to be. Uh, the next four messages that I will preach and then one that Stephen Crotz will be here to share with you. He has a number of wonderful teachings on marriage that I get to see because I'm his Facebook friend. And I told him I was going to steal his quotes and I, I didn't have time to do that yet. But so I want to start today on uh, one of the practices, one of the habits that we have to build into our marriages in order for them to be healthy. And in order to do that, I'm going to have uh, one of my favorite 70s rock band poets introduce the, the message for me. His name is Don Henley of the Eagles. And Henley went on to have a successful solo career after the Eagles kind of semi-retired. He's one of my favorite poet musicians. And he does what any good poet can do. Are we ready to go on that, Brian? Is it going to go? He does what any poet can do. And that is he speaks ancient truth in a song as fresh as tomorrow with words that you will never forget. And so I'm just going to let Henley introduce the message today. And the, the video we have should show the lyrics so you can follow the lyrics. Uh, Henley's song is a good introduction because it illustrates so poignantly what can happen when we fail to practice the habits that build a magnificent marriage. That's what he's talking about. And he says it so beautifully and so clearly and so thoroughly. I mean, he hardly leaves anything out. I could just about not preach the sermon. But the, the last part is the one that really get, that stuck with me. I've been trying to get down to the heart of the matter because the flesh will get weak. And the ashes will scatter. So I'm thinking about forgiveness. And what he's saying is, is we will get old. We will pass from this life. And the chance for genuine love and happiness in marriage will be gone if we don't learn how to do this. And he had lost his, apparently. He's talking about a marriage that ended. A relationship where he figured out the truth too late. The heart of the matter is forgiveness. Because we want, to drink, we want to bring that home to ourselves before it's too late. Before we listen to those voices outside love's open door and throw off our contentment and beg for something more. I mean, the guy is just brilliant. Because that's exactly what I've seen happen in marriage after marriage after marriage. Before we've injured each other. Before we've had to learn how to live alone. So we want to learn what God tells us to learn. And I call these the keys to magnificent marriage. So here's the very first one right there in, in Colossians chapter 3. And I have marked out verse 13, but we should read verses 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, 
So not just because it's good for you, not just because it's good for your marriage and all your relationships, but because you're one of God's chosen people and because you are holy and you are dearly loved. So you have all these resources of love that you desperately need. You have them in your relationship with God. Because of all that, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances, underline that word, grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I got interested in what that word grievances, where it came from, because when, I, when people come and talk to me about, about their marriages, they're coming to talk about grievances that they have with their mate. The Greek root of the word is mumfe. You would say it mumfe like that. So it just almost sounds kind of like mumbling and grumbling. And what it is, what it means is a cause of distress, a reason for complaint or to blame or to scold or to upbraid. Have you ever had that experience in your marriage? A cause of distress, a reason for complaint, blaming, scolding, upbraiding. Now, do you hear what, what Henley said? Is, the, is what you do in that kind of a situation, what the practice has to be? Forgiveness, forgiveness. It's the heart of the matter. It's fundamental because flaws are fundamental to our human nature. Flaws are fundamental to our old sin nature. We are going to grieve one another. We're going to cause each other distress. We're going to give each other reasons to blame one another. Our sinful nature produces that. Forgiveness erases that. Forgiveness is powerful. And I want to talk about how it is powerful. The specific ways that it helps us in our relationships and, and most importantly in our marriages. It's powerful because it helps us unload the past. It's powerful because it covers the present, and it's powerful because it provides for the future. Forgiveness unloads the past, it covers the present, and it provides for the future. So let me try to just spell that out a little bit more clearly. First, it unloads the past. Mark eleven twenty five, Jesus said, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, if you have a grievance, a cause of distress... Against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Now here's a way to think about that. Past people problems can have a negative effect on present relationships. Can you, let's say that together. Past people problems. Oh, y'all are really good. You got the, he's good. Past people problems can have a negative effect on present relationships. Even our relationship with God, but especially in marriage, because marriage is the closest relationship that we have. And so grudges and wounds and distresses and grievances from the past show up vividly. You can't hide them from your mate. If you've got an issue with someone from your past, it's going to show up in your marriage. You cannot hide it from your mate. And what happens is, is we often transfer them. Edith Draper said it this way, The heaviest load that any man carries on his back is a pack of grudges. I like to think about it like this. You and your spouse, 
You build a marriage the same way that you build a house. You, you dig a foundation, you pour the footings for it, you lay in those foundation uh, things, boards, whatever they call them, plates, right? Forms. Forms, yeah, like that. And you start to build that house up on the foundation. And you get it framed in, you get the, the frame built, and then you put a roof and you dry it in. And then once you get the roof on it, you start building the individual rooms in the house. You frame them out, you wire them and plumb them and all those kinds of things. You're doing that in your marriage with your mate. You're building these things. You want these rooms to be warm and beautiful and cozy and welcoming and not harsh and cold and bitter and spiteful. But if you're carrying stuff from your past... It's like, and you're trying to build that stuff with a beautiful place to live in with your mate. It's going to hinder your ability to build. You're going to be building with one hand tied behind your back. Because you're carrying stuff that you haven't been able to deal with yet. So we build them. It's almost like, um, it's almost like problems in our past relationships leave us with extra luggage. And we could call that luggage designer luggage because it has a name. It could be a tote bag called resentment. Or it could be a suitcase filled with fear. Or it could be a 60-pound pack of anger. I know a man who lives with a chip on his shoulder. And it doesn't really matter what the situation is. He is always ready with a spiteful comeback or a harsh condemnation. Uh, or a bitter remark that's sort of cynical, it's supposed to be funny, but it's always got a bite in it. And I, and I sometimes I just want to stop, and, and one of these days I'm going to, when I, when I get to know him a little bit better, I'm just going to say, who hurt you that you would carry this much anger and spite inside all of the time? And God have mercy on whoever's married to him. Because that's, that's like living in 125 degree desert heat all day and all night, all the time. It's withering. It's wilting in, in a marriage. Nobody can stand that. People will leave that. They'll, they'll get out of it eventually. You know, you heard Henley say it. People filled with rage. We all need a little tenderness. How can love survive in such a graceless age? Love can't survive in a graceless atmosphere. And when we carry stuff in from our past and keep it and hold on to it, it's graceless. Probably the worst thing that we can do to our ability to form a healthy marriage is to carry one of those designer bags into that room from some other place. Resentment or fear or anger. Because the bag becomes an obstacle in the relationship. Your mate trips over it when she walks into the room. You can't take your hand off of it, so you can't help build the room. If your mate says, let's get rid of this thing, you get insulted because that's your luggage. You brought it, and you're not going to let go of it. If he happens to put his feet up on it and just try to take a rest, you're going to brush him off. I mean, it's just brutal. And if he ever makes the mistake and does something similar to the people who gave you the bag in the first place, woe be unto that man or woe be unto that woman. Because you're going to be tempted to dump the whole suitcase on them and then both of you are going to have this suitcase, this luggage. So 
let's try to put that in shoe leather and talk about forgiveness. Forgiveness prevents the projection of past painful experiences into current relationships. If I have thoroughly forgiven the people who have hurt me and injured me and damaged me in the past, then it keeps me from projecting that and carrying that into the next relationship. Because relationships are fragile. I mean, they can't take a lot of debt. And forgiveness keeps friends and mates from charging each other for somebody else's debt. You're carrying somebody else's debt into your marriage when you carry in hurts and, and, and abuses and distresses and grievances from earlier relationships, be they earlier marriages, earlier courtships, or situations with your parents. It doesn't really matter. And relationships are risky, so free, forgiveness frees up this emotional capital that we need to invest in marriage. I mean, think about it. You're committing to spend your whole life with this person. You're going to commit all that you are to this person. You're all of your emotional resources, and that's risky. And if you've already been hurt and you're holding that hurt in the background, you're holding then that capital, that emotional capital that you need to invest in the relationship, you're holding it back because you're scared. And because you've not been cleansed and you've not been healed of the hurt. It's like C.S. Lewis said, we all agree forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. So the next time you are alone with God, Ask him, Father, is there anyone in my past that I have failed to forgive? And I ask you to empower me to forgive them now, completely and totally. We'll talk about where the resources come from that, for that in a minute. But let's go to the second one. Forgiveness is not only about unloading the past. It's also about covering the present. Covering the present. In his letter, his first letter uh, to the congregation's that he wrote, Peter said in chapter 4, verse 8, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. That's where I get the idea of it covering the present. You have to unload the past and now you have to cover the present because you are in a present relationship with somebody. Paul said to the Corinthians in uh, verse 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 5 of his first letter, Love is not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. It keeps no record, record of wrongs. Covering is the Bible's basic principle for dealing with the vast majority of minor offenses. Now in the Bible it can mean a major offense as well, but we're just taking minor offenses. And it's not covering up as if it never happened. It's covering over as if, as if uh, washing it away. Cover in the Bible is often used to mean forgive. You can see this in Psalm 32, verse 1. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And there are two things to remember about covering. Number one, covering for the present. Number one, it is unilateral. That means you do it all by yourself. There's no confrontation. Nobody has come and asked you for forgiveness. You're just covering for that person. You're just saying, that, you know, that's under the blood. That's covered. I forgive them. It's not an issue. And second, it is unconditional. It doesn't require anything from the person being forgiven. They don't have to confess. There's no repentance that happens, you know, verbally or anything like that. It's just, it's just totally unconditional. And the problem that we have with this is that we get confused. Excuse me. We get confused about forgiveness in two different ways. 
Some of us treat every offense as a major offense. It's like um, Matthew, we misinterpret Matthew 18, uh, verses 15 through 20. You'll remember that. That's the, the, that's the discipline passage where Jesus says, if somebody sins against you, if your brother sins against you, go show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along. And then if he still won't listen, take it before the church. So it's like this, this escalating uh, conflict is happening over this grievance, over this distress. This is a major issue. It has to be addressed. We can't let this go on any longer. And sometimes we get in our relationships and everything is major. And that's a misunderstanding, a misapplication of this first. And sometimes I would, I would suggest that if every offense is a major offense to you, you're probably still carrying stuff from the past. Sometimes we will, uh, people can, like that can be just a burden to live with. They're going to confront, confront, confront and over everything. The other mistake that we make is we'll say every offense is a minor offense and so I'm not ever supposed to confront about anything. I'm just supposed to cover everything. Uh, we, we misinterpret Matthew 7, 3. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? So we make the mistake of saying sin is sin. We should forgive murder as quickly as we forgive jaywalking and I don't have the right to judge. And people who live like that are just victims waiting to happen. So sometimes we can, we can say, well, every offense is minor, and then we don't have healthy relationships because we fail to confront when confrontation is the right and proper thing to do. The balance comes when we understand what sin is and how God wants us to care for each other. If we understand what sin is, sin is life-destroying slavery. And if you stay in this, it's going to kill you and it's going to kill our marriage. If it's one of those kind of things, yeah, you need to confront it. You need to talk about it. Because if I fail to confront a brother or a sister who's stuck in, or a wife or a, a spouse who's, who's stuck in something like that, I'm not doing my job, the job that God has called me to do in my spouse's life. I'm failing to be uh, God's representative in my spouse's life. And I'm letting them enslave themselves when they might be free. I, I see this. This is one of the things that I see so often in marriage. And, you know, it's not, we're not talking about alcoholism. We're not talking about drugs. Uh, we're not talking about, you know, uh, adultery or things like that. We're talking about lifelong indulgence in self-pity. and selfishness in general. We're talking about lifelong indulgence and gossip and, and a, a, a critical nature, a criticizing nature about everything. We're talking about lifelong indulgence in, in anger and vengeance and revenge. Those kinds of things are just terribly destructive. And they have to be confronted. But there are other kinds of things that are minor offenses that you just, you know, it's covered. Practice the art of forgiveness. When I first moved here, I had an old, beat-up Kawasaki motorcycle. It had been wrecked two or three times, and it only ran on three out of its four cylinders. Um, and from time to time, my late older brother Mike 
would email me and tell me what an, a dog my old motorcycle was and how I needed to just go ahead and get rid of it and buy a Goldwing. It, it's, a, it's an understate, understatement to say that my dear brother was opinionated about motorcycles and cars. He had very strong opinions about those things. And so, I didn't hear you, Mom. And so, and everything else. What I'm trying to say is he was a jerk about that stuff, okay? But for me, it was like, it was a minor offense. Because I could give as good as he gave, you know, as good as I got. And harass him about his, his junk, too. Um, so it was a minor offense. And it was like covered over. It's not a pro- it was never a problem between us. True forgiveness doesn't keep a scorecard in the back pocket. When you're covering, you're not keeping a score. You're not keeping a record of the wrongs. It deletes them. It's like taking the trash out on your computer. So forgiveness that covers the present makes our marriages and makes our relationships strong in a couple of different ways. It keeps the little things from becoming big things. If I was to let that stuff, Mike's opinions about my motorcycles and my car build up, I mean, he couldn't believe that I would buy a minivan. You know, why do you want to buy a minivan? Shut up. I don't care. You know, if I let that stuff pile up, then I've got a cause of resentment and grievance against him that just won't go away when there's so many more important things about our relationship than what we think about cars and motorcycles. Who cares? So it keeps the little things from becoming big things. Second, it frees up the mental energy to invest in solving real problems. You understand what I'm saying by that? If we're so, if we're so wrapped up in the minor offenses of the day, you left the clothes on the floor again. You know, why don't you clean this place up? Who left the top off the toothpaste? It's all dried out. If you keep concentrating on that stuff, you're investing emotional energy in that. And then when it comes time to solve a really major problem, you don't have the energy because you wasted it over all that little minor stuff. So covering it frees up that that emotional and spiritual and mental energy to invest in the really important stuff. Like how are we going to help our daughter figure out her way through the college maze, you know? How are we going to help our son figure out how God has equipped him to, for, for a career path in the world? How God has equipped him to serve the kingdom in the world? You know, those things take a lot of energy. You don't have it if you're wasting it over penny ante stuff. It's like um, there was a story of an, an airliner crashed in the swamps in Florida a number of years ago. It's probably been 20 years ago. And the reason that it crashed was was kind of strange. This is a well-trained flight crew, and they're on approach to a, 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 an airport in Florida, but they're flying over a huge swamp, and there are no lights in this swamp, so there's no ground reference. They're flying completely by instruments, and their, their landing lights, I mean, their, their landing gear there are lights on the, the panel to tell you when the landing gear are properly deployed. And if the lights, they're supposed to go from red to yellow to green. And when they're green, that means they're down and locked. And they're in a place where you can land. Well, this one light, I don't remember which one it was for, the nose or one of them, wouldn't go green. And so they kept cycling the landing gear up and down, up and down. There's three guys in this cockpit. 
And they're paying so much attention to the landing gear light that they flew the airplane into the swamp because nobody was watching any of the rest of the, of the instruments. I realized uh, many years ago now when my daughters were little that I was doing that with my daughters. I was, all the little irritations, were, I was letting them get to me, like clothes left on the floor, sports equipment scattered all over the house, Cheerios in the couch, get the Cheerios out of the couch. I mean, every time I talked to them, it was just, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Fix that, pick that up. And I finally realized, you know, you're gonna fly this into the swamp and all they're ever gonna know about their dad is that he was just this critical monster. Because really, honestly, you can get the Cheerios out of the couch anytime. It just takes a vacuum cleaner. Don't pay so much attention to the little stuff. It's cover it and forget it. It's just covered. It doesn't matter. So forgiveness strengthens marriages by unloading the past. It strengthens marriages by covering the present. And finally, it strengthens relationships by providing for the future because forgiveness is expensive. Let's not cover this. I mean, let's not be false about this. It's expensive. It's costly. It's like, it's like a debit card. You know, whenever you go to the store, if you have a debit card and you, you slice that debit card through the reader, and it always takes something out of your bank account, assuming there's something there to come out. It, it takes this stuff called money out of your bank account. Well, when we engage in the act of forgiveness, it's like swiping the forgiveness card, but it's not coming out of a bank account, it's coming out of here. It's coming out of our insides. Because we when, when we're forgiving, we are swallowing a debt that somebody else, is, somebody else owes. When we're forgiving, we are absorbing an injury that somebody else owes or should be receiving. When we're forgiving, uh, we're taking on pain. And after a while, you can be drawing from a dry bank account. You can be bouncing forgiveness checks. So we have to ask ourselves, where do the resources come to cover that debt? Well, where they come from is we have to go to the source of all forgiveness. We've, that's funny. This will be the third time this verse has been said in this church this morning. Once in the Sunday school, once at the offering, and now just now. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That's 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. What that means is, has you ever had, if you're married, most, most married people, not all of them, most of them have a joint banking account right? So I can write a check on my banking account and my wife can write a check on the same banking account. And both of us are putting money into that banking account. So we have resources to draw from to pay life's bills. Well, here's what has happened. Jesus has this huge bank account of forgiveness and he has put your name on the account. When you're a follower of Christ, when you have given your life to him, and you've said, you are my Lord, you're my Savior, you've paid for all my debts, you're my leader, I'm following you. He says, good, your name is on my bank account. Here, let me give you one of these. And he takes out this little piece of plastic, and he actually walks up and he hands it. 
to her. Don't worry, that's an insurance card. It doesn't have one of those <laughs> magnetic stripes on it. And he, he gives it and he says, now, whenever you need to forgive somebody, you just draw on my account because I completely forgave you. And there are infinite riches in that account. And so, don't try to do this by yourself, is what he's saying. You draw on my account. Because my payment was paid in full for everybody for all of eternity. And those resources are available to you. So you go to him and you say, Lord, I recognize that in myself, I don't have the resources to forgive this person. But by faith, as an act of my will, I choose to draw on what you have given me. And I am going to forgive. Swipe. It's like, would you like a receipt with that? Yes, write it down in your journal, you know. I forgave this person in the power of Christ today. And I'm no longer bound by that debt. That debt's totally paid up. Because forgiveness is expensive. But Christ has paid for all of that. If you have not trusted in Him... You don't have the resources to do that. You wonder, like, people talk about forgive. How can I forgive this? I can't forgive this. No, you can't. You don't have the resources. Regular, normal human beings outside the grace of God do not have the resources to forgive. But in Christ, you do. You say, well, I'm not sure about that. Look, the only way you're ever going to find out is to trust Him. It's somewhere in John. I didn't look it up this morning, but it says... He who obeys will understand. He who obeys the teaching, he will understand. It's not until you say, okay, I'm going to obey, that's when you have the resources. He's not going to explain it ahead of time. You just have to obey. Because of the forgiveness account that we have in Christ, we can take responsibility for the things that we do. Because it's not just everybody else causing the grievances. We're causing them. And we can actually go to God instead of saying, you know, instead of this little mind game we play with ourselves where we do something awful, that, that, then we blame it on our spouse. Well, you made me mad. Well, you did this. No, that's blame shifting. You make yourself mad. We can go to God and we say, Lord, I really blew that. I mean, I sinned. Um, and yeah, maybe I didn't get enough sleep last night, and maybe I'm tired and hungry and got a lot of pressure on me, but I sinned. Um, please forgive me. Well, then you're not carrying that, because, you know, we have that internal balance thing, and whenever our balance is off and we know that we owe, we're going to try to put it someplace else. And if we, don't have, if we don't have Christ to put it on, guess who gets it first? Spouse. Kids. You know, I've never literally kicked a dog, but sometimes I know people will kick a dog. So forgiveness is powerful. When we, when we give our sins to Christ, that's erased. And we're not carrying the burden anymore. We give somebody else's sins to Christ, it's erased. And that thing's not clouding our relationship. So it's powerful. It unloads the past, it covers the present, and it provides for the future. Let me give you a great story of what this looks like. Mark Golley is a preacher, and I so appreciate his vulnerability 
in telling this story. He said, many years ago, my wife and I were having a marital moral discourse, and I was becoming increasingly agitated. And in my fury, I yelled at her and aimed my fist at a section of the dining room wall. Unfortunately, the Holy Spirit failed to guide my hand between the studs as he had usually done. <laughs> and instead, I hit a stud right on and I broke a knuckle. Now here's the, here's the deal. A deathly silence settled in the room. Because I came from a family in which nothing got done until someone yelled. Barb came from a family in which yelling brought things to a standstill. She was not going to speak to me for weeks. So as I writhed in physical pain, I also writhed in emotional pain because I knew I was a moral failure of a husband. I had caused this mess and just made it worse. We'd been in a, an argument. Now, he says, I just destroyed the whole thing. He said, as I tried awkwardly with one hand to sweep up the bits of sheetrock on the floor, I felt a hand on my arm. And I turned around, and it was Barb, and she said something apologetic, and I said something apologetic, and then she embraced me for a long time. Ladies, this may go for the guys too, but ladies, let me explain something to you about your man. Some of them, not all of them are like this. But a lot of us have a lot of stuff piled all up inside of us. And we've also got this extra dose of this controlled, sub it ought to be a controlled substance called testosterone. And, and it just, you know, sometimes when it's all piled up, there's just almost no place for it to go except like that. Okay? When you see your husband acting like that, please understand something. What you're seeing is the big growly grizzly bear, right? What's down inside usually is a whole lot of pain. And the big growly guy is the only way we know how to deal with the pain. Because we were taught a long, 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 long time ago, you don't show yourself emotionally vulnerable to other people. And it most, it, 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 it's got to be the most contra- indicated thing that you can think of in your head to go up and hug somebody like that, but I tell you that's what he needs. He needs a gentle hand on his arm and he needs somebody to wrap him up and hug him and tell him it's okay. So Golly says, she had every right to pronounce a grand moral imperative, condemn my behavior and distance herself from me and that surely would have taught me a lesson. And instead, she embraced the angry sinner, and ra rather than teaching me a lesson, she helped heal me. See, that's the difference. When you're full of forgiveness, you are enabled and empowered to help heal people. When you're not, you can't. Golly was writing about this and referencing it to Good Friday the day Jesus died on the cross. We Christians celebrate a similar event, albeit one of cosmic proportions. 
in his life, Jesus so identified with the immoral, spent so much time with them that the good people of his day mistook him for a sinner. But on Good Friday, Jesus continued the story. He did not distance himself from sin as much as embrace it in himself. And by this embrace, he made redemption possible. The most important relationship you will ever have is your relationship with God. The first principle for a healthy relationship with God is the same as for people, and that's forgiveness being able to receive it from Him. So let me ask you this. Have you received it? Because if you haven't, you don't have the resources to do all this stuff that I'm talking about. So let me invite you to receive it right now. Let's pray together. Father, we just speak this prayer together. Please forgive us. Fill our lives with Jesus. I offer my life to you and ask you to fill me with himself, with his spirit, so that my sins, my offenses, my grievances can be atoned for and taken care of. And then so that I can share a huge, infinite resource with everyone in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at FCCSOBO.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful